All right. Am I on? Can you hear me? All right. Wow. This is cool. I have, there's like stage hands here that bring up little props and stuff. This is awesome. Brad introduced you guys to me, and I'm so excited to be here. This is my second home. Those of you guys that don't know me already, you know, uh, I was introduced. I, I am now the pastor director of Abba Compassionate Ministries. And uh, wow, I mean, and I wish I had time to tell you the whole story, and I do. I got about an hour 45, but we are doing an intermission in 30 minutes, right? Okay. But, uh, you know, I'm a grateful believer. I'm a, reco- uh, you know, been clean and sober now for 14 years. And um, so uh, it's amazing what God can do because, boy, 15 years ago, Buddy never saw this happening, you know, and uh, how do you, I've gotten a lot of comment, but have you guys noticed, what do you think about the beard? You know, uh, I originally grew this beard to um, do a video that we were going to do for Celebrate Recovery. We never really shot the video, but as I grew it out, my wife goes, hey, yeah, I remember when I met you, you had a beard. It was a different color, but uh, she goes, keep it, you know, so I went, okay. So anybody gives me a hard time and gives me the razor thing, I'm going to go, my wife likes it, so you're out a lot. But there's a problem with this beard. Kids come up to me and go, Santa. I was really kind of going for a Moses, let my people go. Maybe Noah, I don't know, but it's still Santa. So I guess I'm either going to have to shave off the beard by Christmas or just not wear red, you know, because kids come up to me, I've been really good, you know. But Santa Claus, and I'm going to be the first one to kill you with Christmas already. I mean, it's not even September. We're not even in Labor Day, and I brought up the Santa thing I'm going to talk about Christmas. Christmas, Christmas. Oh, it's where's my notes here. And the love handle, I, I guess it's not such a bad thing to be a symbol of someone who's, I have a fat part I'm not too fond of, but jolly and a giver of presents, you know. Um, that's not too bad, but uh, we all love receiving gifts and stuff, right? But let me, let me talk about our love handle. Is it up there? Let's put our love handle up. And this is what I wanna, want you guys to come here. If you do notes, write this down. Because I'm going to talk a lot about gifts, presents, and other pre- uh, presents of being there. But loving people is more about presence being there than it is presence giving gifts. So um, don't get me wrong, man. Giving and receiving, right? Awesome. It is awesome. You know, there's, I used to be Santa at a different time in my life. Was anybody, when they were a little kid, the parents would go, okay, you're going to be Santa, so hand out the gifts to everyone, and you would hand out the gifts to everyone. And, um, man, there's nothing better than when you got the gift you really wanted. Man, the one that really just got you. And I want to show an example of this reaction of getting a gift that you wanted. It's this video here. Many of you have probably already seen it. So we can take a look. (laughs) 
Man, I, did anybody get that kind of gift? You know, I, nowadays it's technology that's the big gift, you know, a gaming system or a phone or some sort of stereo. I want, you know, when I was a kid, I get uh, one of the things I love. Remember Operation? Operation was cool. Take out wrenched ankle. Some of you don't remember that. Some of you became doctors. I think Dr. Martin was inspired by Operation. And now, you know, he's saving lives everywhere he goes. But, um, you know, take out Funny Bone. I even liked, you know, what my video game was. It was a, a little steel table that you plugged in and vibrated. And then you put plastic little football guys on it, and you really had no control, but you just clicked it on and went for it. But the one that really made me want to fist pump, like those kids, let's play it. It's right up here. Schwinn Stingray. Butterfly handlebars, banana seat, sissy bar. I made a big mistake. I put the Mickey Mantle rookie card in the spokes. Oh, that was a, not a very wise investment for your baseball card collectors. But, uh, man, wasn't that the gift? Anybody remember that? Banana seat, boy, you get laughed off the neighborhood riding that. Three on the bar, three speed. <clears throat> yeah, that was cool. Now, I got to tell you a little bit about Christmas. In my family, we did grip it and rip it. I mean, I would hand out the gifts, and it would be three, two, one, open. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Mom. You know, and so when you did get the socks or the underwear, you could just kind of throw that down, you know, because we didn't like that stuff. It was a better gift. It lasted way longer than the vibrating, you know, uh, football table. That was that day it broke, you know. But I, I still think I have some whitey tidies that were given to me back then. But I don't wear them. But anyway, you know. But at Alicia's house, when I met Alicia, her parents, it, I, I think it takes eight hours to open the gifts. Because you have to sit there, and when you hand it out, it's one at a time. Don't you love this? And there's a $100 gift in there, but rip the paper careful. Because we might need to save that 35-cent wrapping paper for next year. <laughs> one, one time when I was there, I grabbed up five or six bows and threw them away. You'd think I stabbed someone. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? We can use this next year. But And then, on top of that, you had to pose with each picture, you know, each present. Thank you, Aunt Mary, for the whitey tidies. They're really nice. And uh, I think my father-in-law, God rest his soul, man, Ed was a great guy. He was in radio, too, and had this booming voice. I don't think he really liked it that much, either. One year, we got him a gift that he actually needed. Uh, he actually needed this gift. It wasn't, you know, and he had to pose for it. But he, he had a creative way of doing that. Let me show you this picture of, uh. Now, to be honest, that's for his age, that's the equivalent to the Stingray. We're talking cushion, toilet seat, automatic lid coming up and down. Man, it was awesome. Man, I love him. I, I, love, I really miss that guy. I love him. But I, what I'm here to tell you today is about receiving gifts and giving gifts. I mean, we do receive comfort, you know? Where do we really receive that kind of comfort and that kind of joy? Is it when somebody, you know, teaches us 
something that's good or something you know, new? Or is it somebody who give, gives us words of hope or assurance? Or is it when somebody does something for us or tells us how to act or what to do? Um, yeah, you know, maybe, sometimes. But to answer the question, where do we receive a real gift and real comfort, um, let's go through some scripture to, um, to do that. If you would, if you have your Bibles, t- turn to Luke 10. And uh, it's verses 25 through 37. I'll try to do this the way Brad does. I know there's Bibles back in the Welcome Center. I never know the names of our things. It's the, it's the area where everybody hangs out. And, uh, and, uh, but there's Bibles there. Get that after. If you have your U version, start downloading that. I'm using the New Living Translation as well. That seems, that's kind of the translation that we use here at Core Church. But um, I'm going to um, I'm start there. Now, we've already said this a couple of times, but I'm going to ask you to say it again. What do we say at the end of every service here at Core Church? At the core of who we are is? Now, Brad constantly reminds us that that's really not our idea. I mean, there are some other churches that follow this same principle, and it comes from Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Other words, loving God and? Now, I'm going to, uh, it's not going to be on the screen or anything, but if you'll follow me along in your Bibles, I'm going to read a portion of the Bible that everyone's familiar with. Even people that never set foot in church or never read the Bible, they're familiar with this story. So um, if you'll just bear with me and follow along, Luke 10, we're starting at verse 25. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus this, and who is my neighbor? And here's when we get into the story. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them, Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I am here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Everybody's pretty familiar with the Good Samaritan story, right? The Good Samaritan story. 
what gets me, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. The people that walked right by and did nothing were a priest and a temple assistant. The pastor and the associate pastor treated the guy like he was invisible. They walked right by him like he wasn't there. The very ones that should have the most compassion ignored him. Maybe they're like, oh, I don't have time for this. Oh, I don't want to do this. And, and I often wonder how do we do that with people, not just homeless people, but people in need of general. We treat them like they're invisible. How many times have you just drove by the guy holding the sign? You know? I've done it. I do it all the time, unfortunately. And I'm the compassionate ministry's leader, director of the whole district. And it's still, it's, you know, we treat them like they're invisible. You know? And uh, they're not. We don't know this person's heart. Many times we'll think, oh, they're just going to spend it on booze. And, then, you know, there's a couple of stories where the professional panhandlers, you know, well, they're just going to make $1,000 and jump in their Beamer and drive off. I'm not giving any money. They're going to do it. They're just going to spend it on drugs and booze. Well, so what? You ever walk by and say, get a job. You ever think that? Get a job. Why don't you just get a job? Lazy. I have. I've thought that. So did the priest. So did the temple assistant. But there is one guy that did help, and it was the Samaritan. You know, I want to tell you a story. There's a friend of mine who's been in and out of Celebrate Recovery. We're kind of on the outs right now a little bit. He's, he's in and out. But he spent a lot of his time being homeless. He's been homeless three, four times. And the last time, and he struggles with his addictions and stuff. You know, this man right here uh, got beat up and was a victim. Okay, so it might be a little easier to show that one, compassion. Well, what about if someone did it to themselves? What if it's a criminal? If somebody stole something? What if somebody who lied? What if it's somebody unlikable? Do we still show compassion to them? Well, the answer should be yes. The answer should be yes. And let me tell you about my friend. He was living in his van, his wife, and he had three kids at the time. I think he has four now. And... Um, he would sit there and he'd hold his little sign and he knew people would think he would like, and he'd be, he said, you know, sometimes I bought beer with it. A lot of times people would give me food because they've been taught don't ever give these people money, which is a pretty a good rule, you know, but it's not, it shouldn't be in stone. And he'd go, they'd give me a McDonald's and I'd get a Chick-fil-A and maybe some tacos and I'd stash those up in my van and then me and my family would eat on that for days. He goes, after, if we made enough money to get a hotel room, we'd get the room, and then if I had enough after that, I would feed my addiction, whatever that was. But he goes, you know what the best part was? You know what the absolute best, what, what really made, is when someone would take the time and stop and talk to me, not down at me, not telling me what to do, but just treat me like I am a human being. That's what gave me the most hope. I appreciated the stuff, you know. We do need presence still. We still need the resources, but we need presence to just be there, to just be there. And uh, that really stuck to me, and that's why I wanted to do this good Samaritan story. Because the people that were supposed to, I want to pull up uh, one of the scriptures and look at it a little bit. It's 1033. 
you will, visit that one real close. Because I want to talk about this Samaritan guy a little bit. The despised Samaritan came along. Okay? And when he saw, he didn't just ignore, the guy wasn't invisible to him. He saw him, the man, and then he felt compassion for him. A despised Samaritan. I don't know uh, how well, you know, in, in the Bible, Samaritans, if you're a Harry Potter fan, a Samaritan would be a mudblood. Any Harry Potter fans know what I'm talking about? Oh, you can say it in church. We don't care that you watched Harry Potter or read the books. We know there's witchcraft involved and, you know, but, but re really they were, they were not pure. They were inbred. They bred with others. They weren't a pure race. And uh, the Samaritans were not a pure race. They didn't go to exile with all the other Jews. They didn't keep the cleanliness ceremonies. They intermarried with other um, races. It was very, I mean, it was very racist in that society. They, they were despised. They were hated. They were mudbloods. So this is the guy, the despised Samaritan that felt compassion for the man in need. All right, I'm, uh, I'm going to define compassion. Because there's a, there's a lot of fuzziness about compassion. Compassion literally means this, the two words, compassion. You know, the passion of Christ is, uh, isn't some great passion thing. It's where he gets beat and it's where he dies and where he's get hammered to the cross. That's the passion of Christ. Compassion literally means suffer together. Suffer together. That's what compassion means. And uh, psychologists, emotion researchers, and all that, that, what they say, it's a feeling that arises when you're confronted with another one's need and suffering, and you're motivated to relieve or help in that suffering. I will say this, though, you know, compassion can have a negative connotation. It can be kind of bland. Compassion's what we have in mind when we say things like, I feel so sorry for those people. Now, that's an honest response. Before, you know, I'm not one to beat anyone up, and I don't want to get politically correct. I'm not a big fan of the word those people. But I'm not going to say, don't ever use those, that word, those people. But it is an honest response to many that when, when responding to the needy. But, but it implies distance. Those people. I feel so sorry for them. It, it implies a sense of separation. I don't want to be, you know, those over there. Sometimes even superiority. You know, I'm so much better than them. I'm not going to stoop to that level and, you know, that kind of thing. Feeling sorry for those people is really a form of pity, not compassion. Anybody like to be pitied? It's used as a weapon, isn't it? I'm not mad at you. I just feel sorry. You ever done that to someone and, and you meant it as a zinger? Well, even Mr. T understood pity. I pity the fool who takes something of mine. That's not a good word. Pity's not a good word. It's not a word that describes compassion. It's, it, it's really not a good word. The truth is, you guys, is we're all those people. And we, some of us in here may not have a need for food. We may not have a need for shelter. We may not have a need for finances we may not have a need for transportation but we certainly need a savior Amen. we are we are dead in our sins and we need a savior to lift us up 
all right? And we, uh, you know, maybe we don't have those kind of hurt, but maybe we're arrogant. Maybe we judge people. Maybe we're codependent. We are in need also. We are in need also. Everybody in here is in need. If you feel comfortable and go, I don't need nothing. Yes, the very fact that you think you don't need anything means you need something. You know? And um, let's look at this next verse. It's, uh, it's uh, 34, Luke 10, 34. The good Samaritan. Going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Uh, for my recovery, guys, <laughs> let's just assume he poured the wine on the wound. And it wasn't a, probably it was a sedative, but, you know, it's like, but, you know, wine and he bandaged them. Then he put him on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. That implies that he was with them. He went over. He didn't ignore him. He saw him, and he went over to him. And then he took him, put him on his own ride. And, uh, you know, he didn't treat him like he was invisible. He actually took care of him. You know, he didn't come up and, you know, leave a card. Here, call Buddy Davis at Alba Compassionate Ministries. Oh, let me, I'll get you some resources that you can get to. Let me, 211, hey, can you, there's a guy on the road. Can you go over and help him? Oh, wait a minute, I have some bandages and some wine and some olive oil. I'm just going to leave this here, and you, you help yourself. You know, even the kid that was all about the Nintendo, just think of the joy of the parents going, score. Well, I gave him that gift. He did more than that. See, just dropping stuff off is good, and we need stuff. If you're hearing this, you know, and, uh, and your resources, and you feel compelled to write a check to all the Compassionate Ministries, I do not want to stop you. Listen to the Holy Spirit if they're telling you that. But uh, he didn't do that. That would be more like pity. This mudblood, this Samaritan, he stayed with him. He saw this man through the entire situation. You know, they were on the road, right? It was a highway, and it was a dangerous highway because the dude got beat up and left for no Now, the pastor and, or the, temple, the priest and the temple assistant I mean, their work is going to the temple, going to church. They probably had an opening in their day. This despised mud blood Samaritan, he's on the, I, I imagine it was a business trip. I imagine he had a lucrative sheetrock job that he was going to put in, or maybe he's a salesman and he was going to sell a bunch of stuff. He, he was on a journey. He was on the way to go, but he stopped. And he took the time to stop and take the knee of this guy. Sometimes uh, it's easy to write a check or to, or to give some stuff. And, and we need checks and we need stuff. Don't, please don't get me wrong on that. But many times that's an easier thing to spend than our time. Because see, most of the time we say our time's for us. I spend my time for myself. This guy took a day. They took him to the end. And he, and he, and he, and he, and he took care of him until he had to leave. And then when he left, he said he still left provision to take care of him. Man, that is what God did for us. The present was Jesus. When God had compassion on us, he came down to us in person. And he hung out with us. He didn't go, oh, these people are hungry. Yeah, here's the bread. Okay, yeah, I fed you 5,000. I'm out. All right, well, I'm going to heal the blind. I'm out. No, he stayed and he ate with them. He stayed and he healed the blind. He touched the leper. He hung out with people. 
He took time out of his schedule to go off. You know, many of us have color-coded calendars, and, you know, from 10 to 11, I got this, so I can't make that. Well, you know, throw that away when you see someone in need. Spending the time. I want you to write this down if you take notes, because this is really important. Compassion is doing something with someone, not for someone. You do it with them, not for them. I'm going to help you out. I'm doing this for you. That's distance. That means I have all my, in all of my brilliance and wonderfulness, I'm going to bow down and help you poor pathetic fool. Did you know that pathetic is a form of pity? The word pathetic is a form of pity. So, you know, um, again, write this one down. You know, compassion is doing something with people instead of for people. You know, I'm going to talk about um, supermarket shuttle here in a minute, but last supermarket shuttle that we had, there was this little girl. There's a lot of people here who came and volunteered that day. And there was this little girl, and she was eaten up with bed bugs. Well, the, the apartments across the way are low-income apartments. And by the way, that was over a month ago. The people to come spray and do the thing, they couldn't get there till the 22nd of August. So they had to live in this house for that long. And you know what? The parents, they're not, they're not the best parents, to be honest with you. I mean, they're, they're good people. They try their hardest, but they're just not that good. You know, uh, the, the man tries to work, and he gets some jobs in there. I don't know if they're married or it's baby mama, baby daddy, or anything like that. But they try real hard. Now, our volunteers, I love them to death. This is like, I'm going to make a point with this. They, they felt compassion for this little girl with all the bed bugs. Now, I'm not saying they grabbed her, brought her in, and rubbed her all over. I mean, that would be stupid. And I want to talk to my recovery people, too. It's the same concept here. When you're three months clean, don't go to the bar to save your friends. <laughs> oh, I'm good now. I'm going to go in there. I'm not saying don't be safe. You know, sometimes it's not wise to hang out with somebody because in Celebrate Recovery, we really stick to Galatians 6.1. And those of you who go to CR will know this. 6.1 is, brothers, if someone who's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. So be safe, but also be there. What they did is, is they loved this girl. They didn't pack up and leave. They, 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 their hearts went out for this little girl. Now, when they got home, they did all the things to be, prevent from bed bugs spreading into their place. You know, they washed all the clothes. They did all the heat treatments. But not one volunteer, and you guys know who you are, not one ran away and went, I'm, I'm out. Not one crossed to the other side of the street and went. That's what I love about Abba Compassion in this church. You guys didn't do that. You guys didn't do that. I want to get back to pity. That was compassion right there. That was not pity. That was compassion. See, pity emphasizes the distance between people. There can be no relationship with anyone if um, you pity them. There can't be a relation. Compassion, on the other hand, is a commitment between the helper and the needy person, and it's based on a relationship, and it requires intimacy. And Jesus modeled this over and over when he came and lived with us, like I said earlier. He taught us. He healed us. 
He fed us. Compassion brings people together. And when it was time for Jesus to leave, just like the good Samaritan left a few bucks to pay the inn and would catch him later, Jesus left us his Holy Spirit. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We are to be imitators of Christ, you guys. And if we're to be imitators of Christ, we need to be with each other. Scripture says, they will know me by how you love one another. These people, those people, us people, they're also believers. 90% of the homeless believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, 90% of convicts believe in Jesus as their Savior. Yeah, there's a little bit of evangelism there. There's some that don't, and we're able to share the word. But these are our brothers and sisters that believe. Now, when people see how we love one another and they don't know Jesus, they want some of that. I wanted some of that. When I walked into this church, I didn't think anybody loved me. But you guys loved each other. You loved me. You loved my family. You loved each other. You treated the inmates like they were part of this church, not a section to go sit over in. I'll never forget that, and that's what we're about. You see, at Abba Compassionate Ministry, we want to be, number one, relational. We want to be relational, and then slightly lower is the charitable part, where we give stuff. But it's hard, y'all. It's expensive. might have to take a day off work to be somewhere with somebody. You might have to take a day off the schedule. It's expensive. Time is expensive. Time is money. It's expensive. Um. You know, so it, it's very, very hard. We're, we're all needy. We all need a Savior. Abba Compassionate Ministries. Let me talk a little bit about that. You know, I told you about being relational and stuff. And, and uh, I'm going to talk about some of the ministries that emphasize this relational charitable. First of all, Celebrate Recovery. The reason Celebrate Recovery is so successful and does so well is because everybody there is on a journey together. Some got on the highway at a different time, but we're on the same highway. Some people struggle with drug addiction. Some people struggle with alcoholism. But, you know, at our Celebrate Recovery, which is predominantly drugs and alcohol, that's only about 65% of the people that go there are currently struggling with drugs or alcohol. Some is grief. Some is anger. Some is greed. Some is uh, self-confidence. Some is relational. There's a, I mean, Jesus can heal everything, guys, not just addiction. He heals everything, but he wants us to be together to do it. He puts people together to do that. Life Launch Ministry includes our prison ministry and, and, and uh, you know, just helping the poor and also Life Launch. And we'll talk about the supermarket shuttles in, involved in that in a minute. Abba Homes and Ministry, any of my Abba Home brothers here today? Okay, that have been there or live there currently now? This is designed to be a community where men live together and they want to live sober and they want to follow Jesus. Now, hey, do we fall? Heck yeah. But they're striving. We're striving together to live the life that God created us for. That's what compassion is. That's what compassion is. Now, um, I'd like to bring my lovely assistant up here now. (laughs) 
I feel like um, either Pat J. Sajak or Drew Carey or Bob Barker. And this is my lovely beauty, Vanna, or Rachel Reynolds. I, it's sad that I know the models' names on these game shows. And uh, what we have here is, is part of our um, street survival packs. You ever drove by and seen a homeless person either holding a sign up or you know that they're struggling and homeless and just walking the street? Well, this is a pack that has various items in it. Oh, some striped underwear. That looks like Hogwarts underwear, actually. And... Um, uh, <laughs> Not enough Harry Potter people in here. I really thought that would fly, you know, apparently not. And, and it's got, you know, some food items, and, and in the summer we have sunscreen and then someplace. So we, oh, and a little hat, you know, look at that. What's up? And um, so I'd like you guys, we have about 30 of those bags at the, at the exits. Um, grab one. Or, you know, grab one. And when, you're, uh, when you see somebody, that's something you can hand to it. And I, I challenge you to not just fly by and throw it out the window. Do a drive-by. You know, oh, I did it. I'm compassionate. Um, <laughs> you know, I dare you to stop and go, hey, man, what's up? How long you been on this corner? Well, how'd you ever wind up in a place like this, man? You all right? What's your story? Who, you know? What's your name? How you doing? Brad told us a story where he didn't want to do it. It's not easy. You have to stop. And you have to change your schedule. And then we have also an empty bag. And it has a, a card in it that has all the items that go into that bag. So you can either take a full one and go off, or take an empty one and fill it up, or um, you can, um, you can um, take both. Take an empty one, bring back a full one. And they'll be with the ushers right at the end of that. Now let's give it up for my lovely assistant, Miss Alicia. Thank you. Now I would like to talk a little bit about Supermarket Shuttle as I close. This is going to be my first close. I got about seven <laughs> closings. As we wrap up, and then I'll say go another hour, and then as we wrap up. Now I want to talk about Supermarket Shuttle because I believe this encompasses the relational aspect of Avocado Compassionate Ministries more than anything else. Supermarket Shuttle, and it's accompanied with uh, Safari Kids Camp. Is Nancy Claggett here today? Give it up for Nancy Claggett right now. She uh, wrote the curriculum for, um, for the Supermarket Shuttle. She wrote the curriculum for that, or, or actually Safari Kids Camp. And what we do is when there's, there's a low-income housing and nobody has a car in these apartments, it's called the food desert. I'll just be real as quick as I can. And, and um, it takes three, four hours to go one way to get a grocery. It take, maybe they get two bags of groceries. They got to take their kids with them. So supermarket shuttle, the churches of the district volunteer their people movers, and they give us drivers. And uh, we go to the store, and we just barely scratch the surface. We only go into one apartment complex. Well, two apartment complexes now. And... Um, we take these, uh, mostly women, but sometimes, you know, couples, to the grocery store on food stamp day. And then we help them get their groceries, and then we tag each grocery with a colored pipe cleaner. And then we drive to the apartment, and everyone, the volunteers and the participants, take these groceries, and they uh, deliver them to the apartment. And we all help each other. During that time, the kids are dropped off at um, the Southwest, at the ABBA Center, and volunteers minister and give the kids lunch and huh, this is what let's uh, let's show some of these pictures. 
I'll give you, this is the uh, uh, kids room at supermarket, at the safari kids camp where they're, um, they're just ministering to those kids. What's the next picture? Who is that good looking guy? Look, it's Santa. Um, no, this is, one of the, the one of, this is one of our runs, and these are the people that were taken to the grocery store this time. And let's go to the next one. Ooh, there's the slightly larger buddy, smaller beard. But this is us unloading. This is what I'm talking about, about unloading and going into that. If you guys want to volunteer for this, it's kind of difficult. We do it on the 1st and the 10th. Sometimes that's on a weekday. That's on a work day. Sometimes it's on a Saturday. But uh, really, we, it's... it's uh, it's one of the most gratifying ministries, and I, I, have, I know in my heart that God's wanting to bless this and expand it all over, uh, all over the place, all over the place. So I'm going to end with this. So let me ask you this. When do we receive real comfort and consolation? Is it, is it when somebody teaches us how to think or how to act? Is it when we receive advice about what to do or how to do it? Is it when we hear words of reassurance or, or uh, hope? You know, that's definitely true in many, many cases. But what really counts, what really counts is in that moment of pain, in that moment of suffering, that someone stays with us or we're there for someone in that pain. More important than any particular thing or any particular word of advice or any particular action is the presence, the simple presence of someone who cares. When someone's in the middle of a crisis, I mean, if someone has cancer, can you do anything about it? I mean, what can you do? Do you know how many times I get a call of desperate parents and their kids are addicted and they can't do it and they, they feel like their hands are tied? There's nothing that you can do. But you can do this. The best thing you can do is, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know, but I will tell you this. I'm going to walk through this with you, and I'm not going to leave you. You will not be alone. How good of a gift is that? There ain't any better. There's none better than that. We have a friend indeed. We have a friend whom we can find comfort and consolation, and that's what Jesus does for us. This is the same compassion and comfort that we receive from God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. His presence is with us. Let us reflect that presence. And I'm going to end up with this because at the core of who we are is? And remember this. This is my last thing. This is the third close and it's the final one. The love handle is loving people. Let's put it up. Loving people is more about our presence than our presence. Guys, it's been an honor talking to my church body. Thank you, Brad, for this opportunity to speak. And I love you guys, and I'll be present with you, and we'll get through this thing together. Amen.